Welcome to the weekly Mission Red Bank podcast, helping the body of Christ build itself up together in love. So today is the first Sunday of Lent, and we felt this in the last service. Team went back and prayed between the services as a result of it. Um, I think most of us have a pretty natural aversion to this season. And one of the things we're hoping for this year is to maybe come to a healthier understanding of it so that it doesn't feel cumbersome or scary because it's not meant to be. The church has practiced Lent for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years longer than what's happened in the last little bit in the evangelical church in the United States. And as my mentor taught me, let us not become chronologically arrogant, thinking that this is the better way, instead of what God's people have done in a healthy way for generations upon generations. It's real important for us to remember and be willing to at least consider, why did our brothers and sisters look at these things this way? These seasons are meant to help us cultivate healthy rhythms thoughtful rhythms. They're not meant to just lead us into some morose valley. Lent is considered a bright sadness. And it's something to steward together. It's something you steward every day of your life. Because the reality is this life is not all one or the other. It's both and. This is a moment where we remember that together. And to that end, I want to start with a quote. And it's a bit long. But I want you to do your best to try to hang in there with me and hear it out. If I were sitting where you are, I would have to close my eyes. I am way too distracted by things to be able to listen if I don't do that. But you do what you need to do. But this is from Russian Orthodox priest and theologian Alexander Schmiemann. And he wrote this about Lent. Let us stress once more, that the purpose of Lent is not to force on us a few formal obligations, but to soften our heart so that it it may open itself to the realities of the Spirit, to experience the hidden thirst and hunger for communion with God. This Lenten atmosphere, this unique state of mind is brought about mainly by means of worship, by the various changes introduced during that season into the liturgical life. Considered separately, these changes may appear as incomprehensible rubrics, as formal prescriptions to be formally adhered to, but understood as a whole, they reveal and communicate the spirit of Lent. They make us see, feel, and experience that bright sadness, which is the true 
message and gift of Lent. Sad brightness. The sadness of my exile, of the waste I've made of my life. The brightness of God's presence and forgiveness. The joy of the recovered desire for God. The peace of the recovered home. Shmiman had a passion for God's people to make real connection between Christian liturgy and Christian theology. More than ritual, more than just intellectual understanding. He wanted people to be able to get inside worship, to deeply engage and experience the worship of God in that which Jesus taught us what's God's desire in spirit and in truth. Now, I witnessed this this past week. I try at least once a week to get a time to be able to go into the kids' space where the Parents' Stay Out program is happening and to read something from the Jesus Storybook Bible with the children. And it's, it's delightful. And you can never just read those long stories because they're just like wandering off after a minute. You have to kind of dig in with them and read the stories, but then also tell the story with it. And this week, our story was the Tower of Babel, and it went great. I mean, we, it just was a sweet, sweet time. And we're showing them the pictures, saying the stuff, reading the, reading the story. And then we got done, and I said a very simple prayer, and I said it slowly, line by line, much like I do in here, not just because I have a Texas draw, but because I want us to actually engage with what we're saying. And as I did, I kid you not, a little boy, how old is he? He's four. As I said a line of prayer, he sat in the floor like this. I said a line, he said it after me. I prayed another line, he prayed it after me. Brothers and sisters, that is liturgy. That is not a dead traditional thing. That is living learning in the context of God's people and His Spirit. And it's how the Hebrews taught their children about their God before they ever had a written language. So before we just go, I don't really get that stuff. Could we please humbly, humbly consider that our lives are vapors and that there have been Centuries upon centuries of faithful brothers and sisters walking in liturgical rhythms long before anyone before us decided they weren't cool anymore. They're meant to help us. I am not with some ball and chain to them. I want to be helped and I want to help us. So in this same spirit, we're going to take the first three weeks of this Lenten season to try and understand and get inside Jesus' experience in the wilderness. My hope is that together we'll step inside. Together, 
the bright sadness, the sad brightness, and come to a beautiful place where conviction comes to be known as a kindness that leads us to worship our King with these two gifts, confession and repentance. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us to that end. Father, humbly and boldly, I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of each one of our hearts will be pleasing to you, King Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So to enter into the wilderness, we need to set the stage well. Uh, So our passage today starts with what happened just prior to Jesus going into the wilderness, his baptism. So I'm going to start reading there, and then we're going to kind of try to understand and set up what this means. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And as Caleb said earlier, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, John, consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil or the deceiver. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So let's get inside what's going on. What is St. Matthew doing here? St. Matthew is crafting what is often referred to as a new Exodus motif. Okay, let me explain what that means. There was an old exodus that the Hebrew people were very familiar with. It was fresh in their minds. So when when Matthew sees these things happening in Jesus' life, knows of these things, and then is recording them, he's, by the power of God's Spirit, connected the dots, how these were an echo, if you will, from the old exodus to a new exodus. And so he's drawing their attention. He was a, he's considered the gospel writer to the Hebrews often. And so he's drawing their attention into a narrative they're very familiar with so that they might come and understand Jesus. Let me give you an example. In the old Exodus, God's people were in bondage, in slavery in Egypt, right? In the new Exodus, what we learn is that God's people, and really all people, are in bondage to sin and death. In the old Exodus, these people were delivered by God showing up with signs and wonders that liberated them. In the new Exodus, they are delivered by God literally putting on their skin and showing up, putting his feet on the ground in the person of his son Jesus, doing signs and wonders and even paying for their wrongs. In the old Exodus, 
St. Paul remembers later in one of his epistles that God's people, as they were being delivered, when they crossed through the Red Sea, it was a baptism of sorts, a corporate baptism for his people as they escaped their bondage. In Matthew's account, we see the people being baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River to be cleansed of their sin. Okay, something to note here. We know from the author of Hebrews, it was read in our epistolary reading this morning, that Jesus was like us in every way, tempted in every way, but he was without sin. So why was he there? Why did, that's why John's taken aback. Why, why are you coming to be baptized by me? Jesus was there, one, because he wanted to fulfill what his father had sent him to do. And a very important part of that was to really connect and relate to the Jewish people in the Jewish narrative. Here's another part of it, I think. So if the people were being cleansed of sin in that water, as they were being dipped and raised up, what was left behind in the water? The filth of their sin. That's how they thought about it. I think there's imagery here of the Son of God as he connects to his people. As God come to connect with his people, he steps into their mess. And he's not contaminated by it. He takes it upon himself. And when he does, his father pronounces his pleasure in him. And in that moment, we hear an echo of what God said about Israel in the Old Testament. Israel is my firstborn son. He said that to Pharaoh. Let my son go. Here in Matthew's picture, God apocalyptically splits open the heavens and you hear his voice. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then lastly, God led his people to be tested in the wilderness. And immediately the spirit of God leads Jesus to be tested in the wilderness. Do you see the parallels? Don't miss that the writers did this stuff on purpose. They weren't just telling story. They were crafting story. They were taking real events that really happened and painting a picture so that people would come to understand those events and how they fit in the meta-narrative of Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, i.e. all of history. So in our Old Testament reading this morning, when we heard that God sent his people into the wilderness to be tested, let's look again and hear exactly why he did that. He led his people for 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble them, testing them to know what was in their heart, whether they would keep his commandments or not. And it worked. When God put his people in that wilderness and they got tested in the first exodus, their hearts heart, collective and individual hearts, their heart was revealed and it wasn't pretty. They failed miserably, to be honest. And I think that we could pause for just a second and recognize that that's a sadness 
that maybe we can relate to? I don't have to think back very far to see a moment when I failed God. I'm not trying to be morose. What am I doing? I'm being honest, right? And I, that happened with them, and that's a sadness we can relate to. Jesus, in Matthew's account, has come to be tested, but what we'll see is that he doesn't fail. In the weeks to come, we'll notice how he persevered and stayed the course so that he could teach us that there is a way for God to not only deliver us, but make a way for us to walk uprightly before him by the power of his spirit. Amen? We are not marooned to old rhythms of sin. We are not marooned to those old things. We continue to walk in them so often because we find our identity in them. And that identification, it stunts us from moving forward. But listen to what happened when God spoke over Jesus. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Brothers and sisters, St. Paul says that we are seated at the right hand of God in Christ. Do you know what that means? If God is pleased with Christ, he is pleased with us who are in Christ. We didn't earn it. It is just true. That's brightness that I think all of us want to connect to. But it is also with the sadness that we struggle. That's Lent. It's meant to help us break honest and be sober about this. In the coming weeks, as we look at Jesus deal with a deceiver coming after him to challenge 